Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, for the fear of Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas, called twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors behind uh, being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here, and look at my hands, and reach your hand here, and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. May the good Lord bless the reading of his word. Father, we thank you for allowing us by your grace to gather this morning. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us also to witness Athena's uh, baptism. May, in, may indeed this baptism be a witness to each and every one of us, not only to us, but to the whole world. And Father, we thank you that I know that she will continue to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, bless her. Father, we also remind uh, ourselves about our brothers, sisters who are not here with us, not feeling well, especially I pray for uh, Robert Weatherford. And Lord, I pray that you will heal him about that, that infection that he's experiencing right now. Lord, touch his physical body. Nothing is impossible with you. Lord, we believe that you are the God that heals. And Lord, I, I, I pray that you will just embrace him with your, with your power, with your presence, and with your love. And I pray also for uh, Sister Michelle's family who lost uh, their loved ones in California. Uh, Father, I pray for a peace that surpasses all understanding. And Lord, also we praise and we thank you that at the end of his life, he acknowledged you as his Lord and Savior. For that, Father, we glorify your name and we thank you. Lord, continue to speak to us as we study the life of Thomas this morning. May you, O oh Lord, allow us to see ourselves in the life of Thomas today and apply it into our lives. Bless your words, O oh Lord. Hide me behind the cross of your Son, Jesus Christ. And thank you so much for what you will do. For this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.
I entitled our message this morning, Thomas's Nicknames. Now, uh, I did look at uh, the meaning of nickname. A nickname, a name added to or substituted for the proper name of a person, place, as in affection, a ridicule, or familiarity. Now, uh, I am looking at the guy responsible for calling Thomas, Doubting Thomas. And that's his name, nickname, Doubting Thomas. Uh, when I searched uh, Google, I stumbled on the list of nicknames used by our president about his opponents. We all know that during his, his campaign, his opponents, uh, he, gave him a lot, he gave them a lot of nicknames. Uh, and, 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 and I want to share some of them with you this morning. Of course, uh, his, his opponent by the name of Hillary Clinton, uh, he calls her Crooked Hillary. Bill Clinton, he calls him Wild Bill. Uh, Joe Biden, he calls him Sleepy Joe. Uh, Jeb Bush, uh, I think until now he is really bitter about uh, the nickname. He calls him Law Energy. Uh, Ted Cruz, we all know Ted Cruz from Texas. Uh, uh, he runs in the, of course, primary. He calls him Lion Ted. But now, because Ted is on his side, he changed his uh, nickname from Lion Ted to Beautiful Ted. <laughs> Marco Rubio, uh, he calls him Little Marco. Uh, Barack Obama, uh, former president, he calls him Cheating Obama. Maxine Waters from, from California, he calls him Crazy Maxine. Uh, Adam Schiff. This is just uh, the latest. He calls him pencil neck. Because <laughs> he has a long neck. Elizabeth Warren. Uh, uh, he calls her Pocahontas. Kim Jong-un from North Korea. He calls him a little rocket man. <laughs> he loves to fly rocket ships. And this one, I like it. Uh, Abraham Lincoln. He calls him Honest Abe. Uh, Again, I was looking for that guy who calls Thomas the Doubting Thomas. Uh, if, if you know who, who is the first person who calls him Doubting Thomas, let me know. I mean, I'm interested. Uh, I'm pretty sure if Thomas was running for the president uh, against Trump, he will have another nickname. But Thomas was one of the 12 apostles of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we all know in the scripture, in the Bible, Thomas was also called Didymus. Okay? That's found in John chapter 11, verse 16, and chapter 20, verse 24, which is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew name Thomas, both meaning twin. And so the scripture does not give us the name of Thomas twin. The Bible is, is silent about it. So, in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, <clears throat> Thomas is mentioned only in the listings of the apostles. Like in, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 3, Mark chapter 3, verse 18, and Luke chapter 6, verse 15. 
So, in the Gospel of John, in the passage that we just read this morning, Thomas plays a leading role into two significant accounts. For nearly 2,000 years, Thomas has received a bad press. He was given the nickname Doubting Thomas. And so he has been portrayed as a man filled with doubt and fear. I would like to set the record straight this morning, and I believe the Bible reveals another side of Thomas. And so his primary problem was not his doubting. It's not about his doubting. Thomas was a pessimist. He was a glass half empty kind of person. And so he seemed to look for the negative side of the situation first. And he was the kind of person who was always on the lookout for the dark side of things. How many of you are like that? You, instead of you looking things positively, you look it negatively. You are looking for the dark side of it. And that's, of course, a Thomas. So as we look what the Bible has to say about Thomas, I want you to see that he also possesses some admirable qualities. This morning to forget first that Thomas uh, is a doubting Thomas. Uh, we will look, of course, I'm not saying that Thomas was perfect. Uh, there, we will take a look at that uh, on the second point. We will focus on his positive side. And uh, among these, of course, is number one, found in John chapter 11, we call Thomas. Thomas, I call him Thomas the Loyal. Thomas the Loyal. And near the end of Jesus' ministry in John chapter 11, if you will read the whole chapter of 11, some people in Judea, especially read chapter uh, 11 verse 8, these people from Judea were plotting the news that their friend Lazarus was at the point of death. He was dying. So he received the news from the sisters, Mary and Martha, that their best friend Lazarus he wants you to do something about it. He died. But fearing for their lives, the disciples tried to talk Jesus out of returning to Lazarus' hometown of Bethany, which was, of course, near Jerusalem, where death threats certainly awaits them. Now, Jesus was set on going. However, Thomas spoke to his fellow disciples. And this is what we're looking for in verse 16. This is what Thomas said. Let us 
also go, I want you to pay attention with what Thomas said, that we may die with him. I want to go to Jesus Christ, with Jesus Christ, because I, 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 I want to die with him. Now, taking note of what Thomas said, Thomas was always ready. This is Thomas's readiness to stay with Jesus despite the consequences, and this is noteworthy. He doesn't care what will happen to him. He doesn't care what will be the consequences if he will continue to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he said that we may die with him. Now, although his outlook may have been pessimistic, uh, we will die. That's pessimism. Okay? And his words rather gloomy. I want you to take a look at his quality. Thomas demonstrated extreme loyalty to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I did look at the meaning of loyal. Loyal means having or showing complete, constant support for someone or something. And that's Thomas. You see, he, his, his support is not half-half. His support is complete and his support is constant. I don't care if I will die, I will support and I will follow our master. And that's our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's the very attitude of, of Thomas. And if we take a look at, at this passage, or even some of the biblical character, we can find that there are three characteristics of biblical loyalty. Why do you think Thomas was so loyal? See, the Bible tells us there are three characteristics of, of biblical loyalty. Number one, genuine loyalty to others is a response to God's loyalty to me. You see, if we apply this into our personal walk with the Lord as a Christian, talking about or speaking about our loyalty to others, we are loyal because we know the fact that the God that we serve, the God that we worship, is truly loyal to you and me. And I understand and I do believe that Thomas understands this very well. He knew exactly that the God that they worship is loyal to them. And so his loyalty also is being manifested to other people. Secondly, genuine loyalty is unmerited. Now, aren't you thankful for that? That genuine loyalty is unmerited? Why? Because if God's loyalty or faithfulness towards us was dependent on our loyalty to him, what will happen to you and me? <laughs> we will all be in big trouble. Why? Because most of, most of the times we human beings, we children of God are not loyal. We still stumble. Just like the nation of Israel. Talking about... Uh, uh, those promises of the Lord, the Lord is not the one who, who, who broke those promises. It's, it's, it's the nation of Israel when it comes, of course, to their covenant with the Lord. 
You see, if, if God's faithfulness and loyalty towards us was dependent on our loyalty, now we, we are in big trouble. That's why genuine loyalty is unmerited. Number three, genuine loyalty is an action, not a feeling. It is an action and not a feeling. You read what he said? Let us go that we may die with him. There is an action. Let's do something. Let's join him. Let's not abandon him. Hey, his friends, as a news, we need to go with him. Let's not abandon him. We know there is a death threat. And so let's go. Do something. Join him. Be with him. I think that is extreme loyalty. It is an action word that describes how God acts towards his people, not how he feels about them. You see, if, 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 if our loyalty is based uh, from the word of God, uh, this is a loyalty in which, again, it is based from, from a genuine loyalty that is unmerited. L let us go that we may die with him. See, uh, Certainly, of course, this is true for Thomas. Thomas' loyalty towards Christ. He consistently demonstrated his loyalty by what he does. How about you? How is your loyalty when it comes to your relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Uh, there is uh, this young man in the army and his young army, he confided to his padre that he never went about another girl if he was within 50 miles of home. Now, that's funny because his loyalty went only 50 miles. How is your loyalty to the Lord? If the Lord will not answer your prayer request, will you still be loyal to him? If the Lord will not give you your heart's desire. Will you still be loyal to the Lord? Billy Graham once published a letter that was written by a young communist to his girlfriend. I want you to listen very carefully with this because well, communism is not really a good ideology. But these people who are communists, uh, they have a very good attitude when it comes to their loyalty to this ideology. And so, Billy Graham published a letter that was uh, written by a young communist to his girlfriend, breaking off the relationship. And the reason is a loyalty to the communist cause. And I quote, and this is what he said. We communists have a high casualty rate. We are the ones who get the shot and hung and ridiculed and fired from our jobs and in every other way made as uncomfortable as possible. A certain percentage of us get killed or imprisoned. So we live in virtual poverty. We turn back to the party every penny we make above what is absolutely necessary to keep us alive. We communists do not have time or money for many movies and concerts, or T-bone steaks, or decent homes, or new cars. 
we've been described as fanatics. We are fanatics. Our lives are demonstrated by one great overshadowing factor, the struggle for the world communism. We have a philosophy of life which no amount of money could buy. We have a cause to fight for, a definite purpose in life. We subordinate our petty personal selves into a greater movement of humanity. And if our personal lives seems hard or goes or our egos appear to suffer through subordination to the party, then we are adequately compensated by the thought that each of us, in his small ways, is contributing to something new and true and better for mankind. There is one thing in which I am in dead earnest about, and that is, this is what he said, the communist cause. It is my life, my business, my religion, my hobby, my sweetheart, my wife, my mistress, my bread and meat. I work at it in, a, in the daytime and dream of it at night. Its hold on me grows. It grows. It doesn't lessen as time goes on. Therefore, I cannot carry on a friendship, a love affair, or even a conversation without relating it to, the, to this force which both drives and guides my life. I evaluate people, looks, ideas, and actions according to how they affect the communist cause and by their attitude towards it. And then he said, I've already been in jail because of my ideals. And if necessary, I am ready to go before a firing squad. Now, as, as I read this, I was thinking about us Christians. Can we do the same for the cause of Christianity? <laughs> Look, he, this guy, he was really very extreme. I cannot carry on a friendship, a love affair, or even con conversation without relating it to this force which both drives me. So I was thinking about, we Christians, can, can, can we really share the gospel to other people when we have a conversation without being afraid because you know that you are loyal to the Lord? You see this guy, he said, I am ready to go before a firing squad because of their cause. Loyalty. You know what? If every Christian who claim to be Christians are like this guy, I think Christianity is already way, way, way up. That's why this morning, Thomas the Loyal is giving us a good example about loyalty. His loyalty, of course, is uh, very evident when he said, let us go so that we may die. See, when we, when we compromise Christianity, that is not loyalty. When we live a life that is not pleasing and that is not glorifying to the Lord, that is not loyalty. Many times we betray the Lord by our actions. That's not loyalty. When we proclaim to be Christians, 
You see, even in our conversations, even in, in, in small things that we do, that it must give glory to our Lord. Amen. Loyalty. That's why I will ask the question this morning. How far does your loyalty to Jesus Christ go? Will you still be loyal? If the Lord will, just like Job, he experienced everything. His business was, you know, was gone. Some of his family members were also gone. And, and, and Job exemplifies through your loyalty also to the God. Why? Because even the wife, the wife said, are you still clinging on your God? Deny him and die. And Job said, are we only, uh, you know, to receive good things and not bad things in life? Yeah, loyalty. Loyalty to the Lord. And, and Thomas said, let us go that we may die with him. Secondly, that I, I not only call Thomas the loyal, but I also call Thomas the skeptic. Okay? I did not use the word doubt. Because in, in my research about uh, doubt and about the life of Thomas, uh, they gave him a nickname, Doubting Thomas. If you take a look closely at the, at the scripture, he did not really doubt. He was skeptic. And why? You see, when we understand John's purpose in writing the gospel, And we encounter many uh, in these in this, uh, passages, uh, of course, found in, in the Gospel of John. When you look at it, John is focusing on the central theme of belief. Don't, don't forget that. Okay? When, when you read the book of John, you look for the word or theme, belief. And, and, and that is what John's purpose. Because John is presenting Christ as the Son of God. And as a Son of God, through his narratives, he's sharing all those miracles, Christ's ministry, so that people will believe. And so put in your mind today that John's purpose is, of course, to share the theme or central theme of belief. Now, on the day of his resurrection, in our passage this morning, Jesus appeared to a group of his disciples in a closed room. Why closed? Of course, uh, we know the reason. They fear the Roman government, and, and we all know that they are running away from, from, from this government. And so, in our text, you will notice that Thomas was not with them. This is after the death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he did not join them. And the Bible doesn't have any record for a reason why Thomas was absent. Now, you know, some preachers, they will, they will use this reason uh, and, and apply this uh, 
into a fellowship in which it's not good for a member of the church to always be absent. Uh, he was absent. And when he was absent, he missed the blessing of seeing the Lord for the first time. And so there's no reason why he was not with them. And so when the disciples later told Thomas they had seen the resurrection, this is what he said. Unless I see the nail, the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side. What did he say? I will not believe. He did not say I will not doubt anymore. Have you noticed it? I will not believe. Now, now, now. Think about what, the, what I said before. The central theme of the book of John is belief. And so, when Thomas rejects the testimony of, of his best friends and other disciples, he acts much more like a modern skeptic. <laughs> Who are the modern skeptics? Uh, he acts more than this modern skeptic rather than a mere doubter. You see, modern skepticism basically says, listen, this is what skeptic says, modern uh, skepticism. There's no way we can know for sure. There's no way we can know for sure. That's skepticism. Now, uh, some philosophers have tried to answer the skeptical problem of knowing. Number one, by basing all knowledge on human reasons. Hey, we can know something by basing it through our own reasons. I want to share it uh, on, on our monitor. Okay. This is called rationalism. Basing all knowledge on human reasons. Rationalism. Now, after this, other, uh, of course, uh, others like Thomas, to know and have knowledge, not, not only they will base their knowledge on human reasoning, but also like Thomas, have tried to base their knowledge on what we can see what we can taste and also touch. And we call that empiricism. Empiricism is basing our knowledge on what we can see, taste, or touch. What did Thomas say? I want to see. I want to touch. If I can see, if I can touch, then I will not what? Believe. Now, think about these two. These two, putting together, uh, we call them, you know, uh, skepticism. This is the common thread that ties them together. See, skepticism now approaches knowledge with a, prove it to me. This is kind of attitude. Prove it. Hey. 
the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to us in a closed door. He said, peace be with you. And Thomas said, skepticism, prove it. Prove it to me. So I will believe. It's a mix of rationalism and also empiricism. Basing all knowledge on human reason. There's no way. You know what? It's a closed door. You mean he just appeared? I don't believe it. No way. Mixing it with empiricism, ha, if what you said is true, then I want to touch. I want to see those marks. What's so striking about modern skepticism is how radically different it is from what we call doubt. What is doubt? Doubt says, I am not sure. Can you help me understand? I am not sure. Can you help me understand? It's like the father of the boy that Jesus healed. I believe. Help my unbelief. And so doubt proceeds from a posture of humility which recognizes God's hand at work and God's ultimate authority. Yet, doubt is honest regarding questions and also genuine struggles. And that's why when you ask questions about Christianity, I think it's good. Why? It doesn't mean that you are skeptics. See, if there is a little doubt, then, then doubt, you know, you're saying, I'm not sure, but, but I want help. I want to understand. But in the case of, of, of Thomas, he said, oh, I want to see it. The Bible is remarkably accommodating towards those who have genuine doubts. The story of the Queen of Sheba in 1 Kings chapter 10. I don't know if you've read this story. Uh, we are told that this Gentile queen travels great lengths to, to, to witness the wisdom of King Solomon. And she asked King Solomon a lot of questions. And she was on a genuine quest for truth. And she presented her questions before the wise king. And so to make the long story short, after listening to his answer, she was compelled to bless the Lord. Of course, interestingly. Now, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, did you know that he refers to this story when he rebukes the scribes and the Pharisees? He rebukes the scribes and the Pharisees because the scribes and the Pharisees, they don't believe in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They will always antagonize the works, not only his works, but also his personality. They can't accept and believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And so he gave them, of course, this, uh, this illustration. Uh, they were radical in their skepticism. And so commending her approach to doubt, he rebukes their disbelief 
on, on, on the one greater than Solomon. You can find this in, Mark, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 42. Now, we will ask the question, what is the difference between these two words, doubt and skepticism? So what's the difference between skepticism and exemplified by Thomas and the doubt? We, we all like, you know, likely we experience all those things in life first. Doubt approaches the things we don't understand. I like this word. With what? Make, I want you to underline that word. With humility. With humility, seeking to first listen rather than to what? To speak. That's, that's, that's doubt, first difference. Okay? Uh, they, they don't argue. They listen first. Why? Because they're willing to know and understand situations. While skepticism approaches them with what? Arrogance. Well, you know, they, they, don't, they don't listen first. And, and, and dictating belief on its own terms rather than hearing from God, of course, on his. Now, uh, what, what is uh, Thomas wants to happen here? What is the, the term? I want to see and I want to touch. He's dictating the Lord. Dictating him so that when that happens, now I will believe. But that, that's, that's arrogance. In other words, Lord Jesus, Thomas is saying, I cannot take your word. I don't, meaning I don't believe you. It is, it's not about, I, don't, I doubt you. It's I don't believe you. So I want to see first. Doubt, listen, recognizes the limits of my own reason. Oh, yes. We are limited when it comes to reasoning. It recognizes that there is a God out there who is much, much bigger than me and, and who can do things that I do not understand. While skepticism elevates human reason above all else, telling God that he must meet me on my terms before I submit to him. And so, the question to follow this up is this. What is the outcome? How does a skeptic become a believer? It seems impossible, right? When, when you take a look at this uh, meaning and, and definition. Uh, arrogance. How, how many of you have shared the gospel with other people and, they, <laughs> and they, they, you did not yet open your mouth and then they already shut you? Uh, the mere fact that they, they only know that uh, you are a member of uh, a Philam International Baptist Church, they don't, they, they don't even look at you and don't, they don't like you. you. You can even start a conversation. Why? It's because they, they, 
they believe that they are more religious than you. Uh, how then does a skeptic become a believer? Through an encounter with our Lord and Savior, risen Christ. I want you to note our passage this morning. Jesus graciously appeared to Thomas and engaged his disbelief. How did he engage his disbelief? This is what he said. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, or reach your finger here, and look at my hands, and reach your hand here, and put it into my side. And this is what the Lord said. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. How did Thomas respond? Of course, we know he confessed Christ as Lord and God. And this is what he said, my Lord and my God. Have you noticed his wordings? My Lord and my God. And also, have you noticed that Jesus did not stop him when he said, my Lord and my God? Why? Because at this very particular point, God is already revealing himself not only Messiah, but he is God. Why? Because he did not stop Thomas. He did not say, hey, 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 you get up. I am not God. Not like, like, like the apostles, you know. There was an encounter with these apostles and then some people, they bowed down to them and, and they were told, no, don't do that. We are not God. But this point, you see, take a look at what John's writings purpose. Okay? The purpose, of course, the central theme is belief. And in here, when Thomas bowed down and said, My Lord and my God, he's telling us, Hey, this is the true God. This is the true Messiah. Believe in him. The problem for us, however, is that the risen Christ is not currently walking through locked doors to engage our disbelief. Actually, the Bible teaches that this is not a problem at all. Why? Because in verse 29, the scripture said, and I want to show it with you, and, and he said, oh, the other one. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, and John, and Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus. And I think this is not it. But anyway, in, in 2029, he said, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me yet believe. Have you, have you heard what Christ said? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet, what? Believe. Also, I want you to understand this. That our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is not so much rebuking Thomas as he is foretelling a time of redemptive history after his ascension. So when, he faith, when his faith would come apart from seeing him physically risen, he appeared to the disciples and other eyewitnesses in order that they might believe and testify for his resurrection. He did not rebuke Thomas by saying, Thomas, you're bad. 
No, he approached him with, 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 of course, with gentleness, with grace. Come, Thomas. See, put your hands on my side. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ wanted them to see the reality that he is indeed risen from the dead. And when they see that he is risen from the dead, then they could testify. And when they testify, oh, whether, uh, you know, kings or whoever, they cannot and will not stop the disciples from witnessing the truth that Jesus Christ was really risen from the dead. That's why this morning we have the scripture. We have the Bible. That's why John wrote his Gospels. Uh, I want you to take a look at John 20, 30 to 31. That's the reason. Okay? And Jesus calls this kind of faith blessed. So when you don't see me, you still believe in me, you are what? Blessed. In short, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the words of Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Now, if you are searching and looking or, or you know, I have this purpose or goal in life so that your faith will grow, don't stop reading and studying the Bible. Because your faith will not grow without meditating and reading from the word of God. If you only rely during Sunday like this, you will become malnourished. You only feed during Sunday morning. But when it comes to uh, physical food, after this we eat, then 4 o'clock we eat again, then the following day we eat again. You know, physically we, don't, we, we, we take good care of our body. But when it comes to spiritual matters, spiritual growth, we are challenged this morning. We need to always feed on the word of God. Because our faith will not grow without you meditating on the word of God. See, the word of God, uh, neither my reason nor my experience is the final authority for faith and practice. This is the one. It's not my reasoning. It's not my experience. And so we must begin with the word of God to acquire a true knowledge of who he is and what he has done. Thomas the loyal, Thomas the skeptic. Number three, Thomas the obedient. Some days later, Thomas was fishing with Peter and the other disciples uh, when Jesus appeared at the Sea of Gal uh, Galilee in John chapter 21. And, and, and this is uh, the record. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana, and in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. And this is the last record in Acts chapter 1, verse 13, where we can read and see Thomas. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. So Peter, James, and John, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. That's in, this is the last uh, reading that we can read the, the name of Thomas appeared in the Bible. They were gathered into the upper room waiting 
for the promise uh, Holy Spirit comforter uh, to be with them and empower them. Now, uh, the reason I call Thomas the obedient, it's because during the encounter in chapter 20, the Lord commissioned them. He gave them the authority in the, in the readings that we just did. And so here, he was with the disciples. And we all know that the disciples, they spread the good news. But there is no record that uh, Thomas went to a specific place. But there is this extra biblical writings and Christian tradition hold that Thomas took the gospel either uh, Parthia or India and that he was martyred for his faith. You know what he said before? Let us go that we may die with him. And this is now happening. Why? Because the extra biblical writings said that he was martyred for his faith. When he shared the gospel, if this is true in India. And so various historical records and traditions indicate that Thomas, he traveled by sea to India in AD 52. So he was martyred and buried there after witnessing to the Indian people. So the tomb of St. Thomas is in Mailopore, India. And there was a poet by the name of St. Ephraim recorded in his hymns and poetry that Thomas worked miracles in the Indian city of Edessa. So a Syrian ecclesiastical calendar has an entry which reads, and I quote, 3rd July, St. Thomas who was pierced with a lance in India, his body is in Urhai, Edessa, having been brought there by the merchant Kabin. And, and end of quote. So a tradition observed uh, by the people of Edessa honors Thomas, calling him the Apostle of India. Now, one time I uh, asked this question. I, I encountered an Indian national, and, and is, really, is Thomas really popular in India? Oh, yes, he said. And uh, there was a place that uh, he was really popular, and there was a group that really you know, acknowledged Thomas. But uh, again, we don't know if that's true or not, but they, we don't, the Bible is silent about where he shared the gospel. But the main point is this. If that record is true, he was obedient to the Great Commission. Because before, before the ascension, the Lord said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, and lo, I am with you always. Whether there was a record in India, I really do believe that Thomas was obedient in sharing the gospel to the lost people, wherever they are. He was obedient. And so this morning, I want you to erase in your mind about that bad uh, uh, press of Thomas. I want you to remember two things, that he was loyal, and he was what? Obedient. But his skepticism turns into what? Belief. How about you today? If your friends, co-workers, neighbor will give you, and know they, they know you are a Christian, will give you a nickname. What is that nickname? As a Christian. 
probably, uh, you know, if if my neighbors see me always late in, in attending church, probably they will nickname me the late Joel Padilla. <laughs> it's not a good name. <laughs> the late Joel Padilla. <laughs> it's not a good name. It's not a good testimony. But if they see me always faithful, attending every services, probably they will call me the faithful Joel. Isn't it wonderful? The faithful Joel. How about you? You, you know who you are. If President Trump <laughs> will meet you and see your Christian walk, what will be your nickname? I want to go I know God sees you and knows who you are. Be honest. And who you know yourself. I want you to put a nickname on yourself. What are you known for as a believer in the Lord? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words this morning. I know, Father, we need to grow more. Our knowledge about you is still not enough. And many times our walk with you displeases you. And for that, Father, uh, people see us. And people tend to put and add names into our real names as a Christian. Father, I pray that this morning that nickname is a good nickname that glorifies your name, that exalts your name. We want a nickname, O oh Lord, that indeed shout to the whole world that we are faithful Christians. And we love you. Father, we ask that you bless the rest of the day. Most especially bless our hearts today. As we listen to, we have listened to your words today. May indeed give us something to think about for this coming week. Lord, you are faithful to us. And your faithfulness indeed are new every morning. Father, in return, I pray that we need to be faithful to you. Make us, Father, a, a good follower of yours. Like Thomas, Lord, I pray for loyalty. I pray for being obedient, O Lord. And there, if there is skepticism, O Lord, I pray that it will turn into what we call belief. Lord, bless your children now. For this is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.